From beginning to end, the Gospel of Mark has been, as you would expect from a Gospel, all about the King and His Kingdom. All about the King who came. In the beginning, that's how Mark starts. In the beginning, the Gospel, the good news about Jesus. And then John came, and then Jesus came, and the Kingdom of God is at hand. From the beginning now to the very end of the Gospel of Mark, it has been all about the King and His Kingdom. And, and now as we conclude this book, we hear a commission. As Jesus now ascends, he gives a, a mission, a commissioning, ascending, an anointing to his church that they, that we would now go. So listen to the gospel from Mark chapter 16. Please stand, beginning at verse 9. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, this is post-resurrection, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive that, and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. These reported, returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. After the Lord had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, send your Holy Spirit today to me and to your people that the words that I speak and the meditation of our hearts, that it all might be pleasing in your sight, Lord God. You alone are our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I said this already, but I'll say it again. The, the Gospel of Mark has been, guys, you can go to the first slide, has been and is all about the king and his coming kingdom. From, from the very first, it's like Mark, Mark doesn't waste time. He just gets right after. He says the beginning of the gospel of, of, about Jesus, the good news about Jesus, and then John comes preparing the way for Jesus. And then Jesus comes and his message is repent because the kingdom of God is close at hand. Repent and believe the good news. That's how it starts. And then Jesus the king goes out and does what kings do. He feeds people. He heals people. He, he casts out demons. He preaches and he teaches. He delivers. He rescues. He sets people free from their infirmities and their illnesses. He does what kings do. He looks like a king. 
and his kingdom comes with force. Long live the king. But then there are other times, and maybe you notice that, when the king doesn't look so much like a king. Jesus preaches in his own town, and they kick him out of his hometown. Jesus cast the demon out of a man, and the people say, get out of here, Jesus. They were scared of him. They didn't want his kind around there anymore. Jesus brought the truth of God to the church of his day, and the church said, no, no thanks. We like our traditions. We like our rules. We'll do it this way. He doesn't look like much of a king when his own people turned against him. He didn't look like much of a king when they threw him in prison, when they whipped him with the cat of nine tails. He didn't look like much of a king when they put a crown of thorns on his head and nailed him to a tree. He didn't look like much of a king when they put him in a tomb. This is a king who's rejected by his people, put to death on a cross. What kind of king is this? It's true when you look at the Gospel of Mark and you look at the kind of king that, G, that we see there, it's kind of an, up, an upside-down kind of kingdom. We have a suffering servant, not a glorified king. We have one who is rejected, not one who is accepted. But Jesus rose again from the dead. And he showed himself to his disciples that for 40 days he showed himself to them. He proved to them and to many others that he indeed was alive. He was the glorified Son of God who now is going to ascend and take his seat. And he gave his church a job. Go, he said. And the church, these 11 disciples now were left with the question, well, what's next? The one who taught us, the one who saved us, the one who died for us, the one who rose for us, he's, he's gone now. They saw his feet disappear into the clouds. What's next? This time tomorrow, what will we do? Where will we be? The church, we're left to ask the question today, where will we be? What will we do? Well, I'll tell you, this time tomorrow, this time tomorrow, it's what, about 10 o'clock now? Yeah, almost exactly 10 o'clock, just like I wrote in my sermon. Perfect. This time tomorrow, I'll probably be sitting in my office just off the community room trying to get my act together for the rest of the week. I'll be thinking about the people I should call, pe people I should email, people I should visit with, things I need to try to accomplish. I'll be getting ready for a worship team meeting for Advent and Lent later that afternoon. Um, I'll be thinking about, oh, I have to pick up the kids from daycare or, or whatever it is. This time tomorrow, I will be all kinds of different places. I will be at places of work, places of prayer, places of playing, all kinds of things. This time tomorrow, that's where I'll be generally, unless the Lord decides to throw my life upside down, which he is prone to do. This is where I'll be and this is what I'll be doing. But what about you? This time tomorrow, where will you be? This time tomorrow, what will you be doing? And I, and I want to challenge you to think about this in some really specific ways. So it's, it's, 10, it's exactly 10 o'clock right now before it was 9.59. At 10 a.m. tomorrow, what will you be doing at that time? And, and maybe start to think about that moment in your day when you're, what will you be doing? Where you, will you be? Will you be at a place of prayer, a place of learning, a place of playing, a place of shopping, a place of working? Where will you be? What will you be doing? Think about it specifically, and here's my challenge because I hope you're paying attention. At 10 o'clock tomorrow, send me, take a selfie and tell me where you are. 
If you don't do selfies, just text me, tell me where you are. And if you don't text, call me. And if you don't call, send me a carrier pigeon. <laughs> Somehow, some way, tell me where you are, because I think it'll be really cool to see where God's people are at 10 o'clock tomorrow. But, uh, but I also want you to think about this in a broader way as you think about your life. This time tomorrow, where will you be? What you will you be doing? Think about your calendar for a minute. Where will, you be, where will you be? What will you be doing? You can answer this question by simply thinking about your day, your calendar, your appointments. Maybe you just know from 8 to 5 or 9 to 6 or whatever your work schedule is, you'll know you'll be at this place doing this work and you have a task list within that place. And after work, you have another place to go and another place to go. You can think about your calendar in terms of where you'll be and what you'll be doing, but you can also think about your to-do list. You can think about those kinds of things that you have to do because that also will tell you where you'll be and what you'll be doing. But you know, as well as I do, that the problem with thinking about tomorrow this way is that one, nothing is certain. Our lives are prone to get turned upside down and the best laid plans of people are often laid by all kinds of other things. We may not know where we will be or what we'll be doing. Even if today we have some sort of educated guess. I imagine that these disciples as Jesus is saying farewell to them and commissioning them to go, I imagine that they thought about this Thursday, Ascension is on Thursday, on a Thursday, that they didn't know what Friday was going to look like. These last 40 days, I try to imagine what those 40 days post-resurrection, pre-Ascension were like as they're making sense of Jesus and his life and their life with him. What does this mean now? And then Jesus, all of a sudden, his feet disappear into the clouds, and they're wondering, well, Jesus, now what? He had told them to go to wait in Jerusalem for him, for the Holy Spirit, so they knew that much. They were supposed to go back and wait and pray. This time tomorrow, they didn't exactly know where they would be or what they would be doing, but they knew or were beginning to know who they were. They were loved. This, this whole time after the resurrection, Jesus was saying to them two things. I'm alive and I love you. Think about how important that was for Peter, who three times had denied that he knew him. And what did Jesus specifically do for him? He said, go tell my disciples, got to go back a couple verses in Mark, go tell my disciples and Peter. See how specific that is for Peter? And I have a sneaking suspicion that there's an unrecorded meeting between Jesus and Peter before the John 21 commissioning where Jesus assures him, Peter, not only am I alive, but I love you. And, and Jesus showed up to Mary Magdalene there in the garden, the one out of whom he had driven the seven demons. And how did she come to recognize him? Mary. I'm alive and I love you. 
And to those two disciples, those Emmaus disciples, as they made their way, as they're processing the day's events, the the rumors, at this point for them, rumors of Jesus' resurrection, Jesus opened their hearts and their minds and even their eyes to see him and believe in him. And then Jesus met them all in the upper room, proving to them by eating some fish and with his hands and his side, I'm alive and I love you. Again and again, Jesus shows up among his disciples and with his disciples to prove to them, I'm alive, I'm risen, and I love you. This time tomorrow, you may not know where you are. You may not know what you'll be doing. But this time tomorrow, this much we know, we know who we are, who you are, you are love. But, but how can I prove that to you when perhaps, and I can't speak to all of you all at once, I can only speak to you one at a time and hope that you think about this, but how can I prove to you when the marks of your life hardly give evidence that you're loved by God? When your life is chaos or your life is pain or your life is sickness, or, or it's full of loss. When, how can I prove to you that you're loved by God when every evidence from your life, the marks of your life, give evidence of, of more of a victim of abuse than someone who's been rescued from it? When your life looks more like someone who's a prisoner than someone who's been freed How can I prove to you today that you're loved when the marks in your life show that you're not, seem to show that you're not? But didn't Jesus suffer too? And how can I prove to you that you're loved when your own heart testifies against you that God surely can't love a person like you after the kinds of things that you've done. Just, just so, like, like Peter, who denied Jesus three times and surely wondered, how can, can Jesus love a person like me or am I beyond his love? Am I unlovable now? Your own heart speaks a word of condemnation against you because of the things that you've done. And when I say you're loved, you say I can't be after what I've done. How can I prove to you, dear people of God, that you're loved when the testimony of your life, the the evidence in your life and the testimony of your heart says you're not and that you can't be? I can invite you to take a look at your hand. Take a look at your hand for just a minute, the five fingers there. Some of them longer, some of them shorter, some of them scarred. I can invite you to look at your skin, your skin color, your skin tone, your hair, your hair texture, your hair length. I can invite you to look at your body and how it's put together. I can invite you to think about your personality, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, whether you're a woo or you'd rather hide in a closet somewhere. I can invite you to look at who you are as a person and then ask you, 
What part of your hand did you have a part in making? What part in being an extrovert or an introvert did you somehow summon from within? Or did it, did it come from outside of you, from a father who loves you, knitting you together in your mother's womb, coloring the way you are, texturing the way you are, giving personality the way you are, the skills and abilities, the strength and the hands. I can prove it to you by inviting you to look at your hands and reminding you you had no part of this. It was your father who loved you. And I can invite you to look at your hands one more time, except now not imagine your own hands, but look at the hands of another, another whose hands were pierced. Another whose side was pierced. Who, who, whose father said to him, My son, these people I love, so go and die for them. The son who said, Father, I will do what you command. And for the glory, for the, for the glory, for the, there's Hebrews in my mind and I just can't spit it out. <laughs> Hebrews 12, look it up. He gave himself for you. And, and I think it's really important when we talk about the cross and we talk about the testimony of our hearts especially and the testimony of other people's lips against us to, to realize that when Jesus died on the cross, he died for the world. It's really important for us to realize that fact. Because when our hearts testify against us, it's easy for us to say, but not for me. It's easier for us to say, well, I can't be sure he did it for me. But now take your hand one more time and pinch yourself, but not too hard. And if you're alive, that means you're part of the world. And if you're part of the world, that means he died for you. And if he died for you, that means you're loved. And these hands of the Father who created you, these hands of the Father who sent his Son, together with the Son, the Father, these hands, the hands of the Father and the Son, they send the Holy Spirit to you. How can I prove to you that you're loved? I can, I can take you, the Holy Spirit, this is the cool thing about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit takes the past work of the cross, the past blood of the cross, and brings it right present. It is no longer just history. It's personal. Here at the font, the Holy Spirit took your heart of stone and gave you a warm heart of flesh, a heart of faith. Here at the font, you were washed and clothed. How, how can I prove it to you? I can invite you to the table where here your Savior Jesus gets down on his hands and knees to give himself to you for the forgiveness of your sins. How, how can I prove it to you? I can beg you to lend me your ears. Because just as surely as the Father created me, and just as surely as the, the Son redeemed me, 
so the Spirit has sent me to you today to tell you this. In the name of Jesus, I forgive you all of your sins. In His holy name, your sins are separated from you as far as the east is from the west. You are loved. How can I make this more plain to you except to say this also to you? Not only are you loved, but you are also sent. I want you to notice something about these two verbs. They're passive. They're, they're not active. They're not things that you and I are actively doing. They don't say you're loving you're sending. They're saying that something else has happened to you. In other words, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are loving you. You are the beloved of God. You are loved and you're sent. This commissioning that our God gives to us is not something that you say, ooh, me, me. It's something where God's Spirit says, you. It's passive, which means that it's all grace. It's all God's work in our hearts and our lives to love us and then to send us. So, this time tomorrow, I already said this, so I won't beat the dead horse. This time tomorrow, I'll be all kinds of different places. As the Lord does it. As the Lord lays out my day and reorganizes my day the way He wants to for His glory and the good of other people, this is where I'll be. And, and this time tomorrow, wherever you go and whatever you're doing, this is what who, more important than where and what, is who. This time tomorrow, you will still be loved and sent. You will be the people still tomorrow whom God loves and to whom God says, as you go about your life, preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes you and whoever believes in me and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not will be condemned. Wherever you go, whatever you do, you will still be loved and sent. And here's the beauty of this. Jesus has not just sent one of us, he sent all of us. And Jesus has not just sent us to one place, but to every place where you go. So I want you, if you don't, some of you maybe don't follow the screen. Sometimes the screen doesn't follow along. We're trying hard. I want you to follow me. And I want you to imagine what this means. That God did not just send one of us, but all of us. He did not just send us to one place, but to every place where we go. This time today, this is where all of us are. It's great, isn't it? This thing that we do where we eat and drink together, where we remember together, where we listen together, where we sing to together, where our faith is encouraged and we're built up. This time today, this is where all of us are. This time tomorrow. And that's just the best guess where most of you live. Start adding points of places when you add your grocery stores and your fitness places and your doctor's offices, and you, you get the idea. You're, the daycares, start, start adding places because this time tomorrow, the church will be out there 
with the gospel on their feet. The people who are loved and sent will be out there and scattered. How cool is that? That the king from all eternity said, I love you and I am now sending you to preach. Pastor Krieger and I, we get to preach to about 120 people, 150 people, whatever, on a given week. But on Monday morning, how many are preaching? There's just one preacher this morning, but there's 140 preachers on Monday morning. This is the church today. This is the church tomorrow. What's next? As we leave today, we're going to go as those who have been commissioned and anointed by our Savior Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. The King is on His throne and His kingdom is still coming through our gospel message. Long live the King. Amen. Amen. <laughs>